Hi, this is Caden, and this is my daddy's podcast called Lasting Learning. Hi, this is Dave Schmidt, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. On this show, we talk to real people with real stories. We focus on the focus and discuss what matters most. Let's go. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Those of you that have already looked at the title of this episode know I have an amazing human being on the show today. For those of you who haven't taken a peek and you're just letting your your, uh, podcast player play, you're in for a treat. You're in for a surprise. You are in for a mind-blowing conversation because today I get to have a guest on who uh, has inspired me probably like nobody else has in the last decade or so. I've had an opportunity to cry the tears, laugh the laughs, smile tremendously over the last couple of weeks as I've really examined this person's story, uh, listened to her words, read her words, and just, uh, man, she is incredible. Let me give you a brief synopsis of who we're talking about and who we're talking with, and then I'll let her share her story. So she is a co-founder of a business that has brought in more than a billion dollars in revenue. It's a, a, a half million dollar, a half billion dollar company. In your house, I guarantee you have evidence of her innovation and her handiwork and her ideas. Your kids are probably playing with some of her toys right now. She is an amazing survivor from her own words. She has battled depression and anxiety. She has lived a life at times where she has felt like she's had this facade that she's tried to keep um, others at bay from. And she is here today to let the guard down, to tell her story, to talk about her amazing new book that is coming out very, very soon. Today, we have the co-founder of Melissa and Doug here with us on Lasting Learning. Melissa, thank you so, so much for being here. I cannot wait for this conversation. Oh my gosh, that introduction was way too glowing. I, I have tears. Tears are like running down my face. That you know, was much Melissa, too beautiful. It's your Thank life. You, it is your life. You have a beautiful life. And that is, that's part of the story that we want to talk about is just how incredibly blessed you are, but yet all of the other things that go along with that. So M- Melissa, do you mind just taking a few minutes and just introducing yourself and just tell parts of the story that people might not know? Sure. Wow. That's going to be tough in a a short (laughs) period of time, but thank you. And, you know, I am so blessed and I think, thank goodness. I now truly believe that with every ounce of my being, but I think, you know, my life has been a series of what I now call dot moments, Mm -hmm. which are those moments in your life that when they happen, you, you don't think they're anything, or you might think there's something absolutely terrible But when you look back on your life, you realize those were the moments that connected together to form that arc of your beautiful life. Mm -hmm. And I've had a few of them that have been really profound. But I think, you know, well, to go way back, 
I, I now know that from the moment I was born, I was afflicted with something called existential depression. And I, I never knew it at the time, but what it is, is this sense that you're not at home in the world and you're not at home in yourself. And that something is so deeply awry within you. It's this unsettledness and it's these continual questions that I had from the time I was two years old. Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? And what am I supposed to do while I'm here? And why does anything make sense if we are ultimately just all going to die? Mm. And these questions were so obviously deep and dark, especially for a little kid. And because I couldn't ask them, much less receive an answer to them, I lived in continual unsettledness and disease. Yeah, uh, just in that little bit right there, there's so much that <laughs> I want to unpack. And we haven't even started on the journey of starting your business in a garage and toys just flooding the, the marketplace and truly you starting to live this life of from the outside in just perfection. Six amazing yes. kids, uh, a marriage of, of close to 30 years, love of your life, beautiful house. Like you have all of the things from the outside in. But on the inside out, this constant battle of who am I? What is my purpose? And I resonate on this so much. So if I, if I can just share a personal glimpse from my own lens, if that's okay. So a couple of years ago, I got to the place where I finally said, I need help. I need some support and started getting therapy and talking to professionals about some of my struggles. And a question was asked of me repeatedly. By, by therapists that they didn't understand why it was such a difficult time for why it was so hard for me to answer. But your book, I'm going to be very real, your book and your words helped me like sometimes they couldn't. What I constantly heard from people was just be real, just be you and let everybody else adapt and adjust. And they would ask me repeatedly, who are you? And that was the hardest question for me to try to answer. Because I, to this day, I still struggle with who am I? Am I the person that people perceive me to be? Am I the person that is inspired by my passions, my strengths, my gifts? Am I the person who's struggling to overcome weaknesses? Like who, who am I? And so I, I appreciate in your answer when I said, just share a little bit about who you are. You didn't say you're a co-founder of a toy business. <laughs> you, you, you went back to the, the questions that you've had about who you are for, for basically 50 years now. That, that is powerful. So who, who are you aside from somebody who is struggling to identify who you are? When, when other people look at you and expect you to answer, how do you answer that question? I still don't know. And I don't know mm -hmm. if I will ever know. I guess the only thing I could say for sure, and this has taken me probably five years to even say this, is I know that I am a creative being mm who needs to wrest meaning from the meaninglessness of life and channel anguish into something that brings others joy. Wow. It, it, is that where this all began? When you look back on the last 30 years of your journey, do you believe that that's why the, the business has become so successful because you are just constantly trying to look at other people and what would bring joy to the most innocent? joy to the, the most creative? 
the, the reason I do believe I'll get emotional when I say this, the business has been so successful is because I truly create from my heart mm. and it is so deep and it's nothing but wanting to make something that will touch someone and light them up in a way that they've never been sparked before. And I think when I go to that place, it is so pure because mm. it is my salvation and I can't let anybody else's voice or beliefs or, or material desires get in the way of pure, unadulterated creation. I love that. And, and I feel like the, the business and the, the products that are created in this business in a way parallel your, your own journey and your own reflection, the idea that you're, you're staying true to this vision of, yeah. I mean, your, your toys, your creations, they are not tech gadgets. You don't plug them in. You don't charge them. There's no batteries. I mean, it's just true. Let's just be authentic. Let's be creative. Let's just innovate. Let's just find joy. And I feel like that's kind of the journey that you've been on as well of, I don't just want to play to the masses. I don't want to, to have this plug and play life. I want to just be unfiltered and real and hope that it's good enough. Do you see that parallel as well? I do. And that story was the first huge dot moment. Mm -hmm. You know, I, for the first 25 years of my life, I always innately created because I think the angst I felt was so profound and so deep. If I didn't channel it into something, I, I would have drowned. Truly. I was, you know, this close to, to never coming back up. And although I channeled it into music and these verses that rhyme from the time I was two or three years old, it never brought me the meaning because those creations stayed locked in darkness. You know, they never saw the light. And I never even, the minute I wrote something or, or um, composed something, I never even listened or read it again because it was so despairing that I couldn't, it, it brought me to too low a place. So I still found no meaning from the fact that I was creating. Yet when Doug and I really just by accident started making you know tangible products for children, I saw with this profound, I call it shellation, shock and elation. I love doing these word mashups. Um, I found that I had this choice and that has been one of the keys to my life that you know, creativity for me is like a water faucet. One side of it is dark, hot, I guess you'd say. And the other side is light, cold. And for all these decades, I was the only faucet that was on was the dark faucet. Mm -hmm. And I was channeling darkness into more darkness. And when it just stayed darkness in darkness, it, it couldn't bring anyone, including myself, any light. It was just more despair. It was just so ugly. But when I started making toys, it was like I turned off the dark faucet turned on the light faucet. And suddenly I just channeled that same exact darkness, those dark, deep, despairing feelings, but I just channeled them into light. And suddenly it was like, are you kidding me, Melissa? That out of that despair, out of that lack of meaning, you are making something that you can actually hand to a child and that makes them laugh and giggle and ignite their imaginations. It was almost unfathomable that the same person that was thinking these these thoughts and in utter existential nihilism could be making toys no less. Mm. So many things to say to that. I, I can imagine that there are people that are listening to this 
that don't understand. They, they hear this and they think, okay, Melissa, I, I feel like this is hyperbole right now. Truly, mm-hmm. you, you are living the life. How, how can you talk about this darkness when you have all the things that so many people long for? How can you honestly look at yourself and say, there's this darkness, there's this void, there's this feeling of, of despair and emptiness. And I, I feel like there's some people that are almost looking at you and wagging a finger saying, shame on you. Yep. Don't you understand that there are other people that have it worse off? So with that, I, I guess I wanted your reaction to that. And then also the question of how difficult is it for you to share this, knowing that that's a reaction that some will have? Yes, I have heard that reaction many, mm. many times already, and I'm not even out there. Yeah. So, and I think to be honest with you, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to come out and, and do this because so many of us believe that the answer lies in those material goods, that the answer lies in the next possession you acquire that lies out there. And that is why, and myself too, that's why I kept racing, you know, engaged in the futile race my entire life, racing outside myself for validation, for achievement, for success, for material rewards. And that's why I can now tell this story because I got it all. Mm. Like there is nothing I don't have, I promise you. Every material thing you could imagine we have. And I have an incredible, like, there's no secret. I have an incredible marriage. Like, I have the best partner ever. I met him when I was 19. We've forged this business together. He's my best friend. I have six children. If you looked at our photos, I always laugh. Like, we look like that, you know, Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, are they touched up? You know, like, we we have that life. And I've enjoyed that life. It's not like I've been crying through that life and I haven't enjoyed the material rewards from being successful. However, we can only fill that gaping hole within us through self-love. And I despised myself in every aspect of who I was and disassociated from all that darkness and all those qualities that gave me the ability to create. So while I was enjoying all this material success, I was hiding who I was, not only from the world, this gets back to what you were saying, from myself. Mm -hmm. I had no idea who I was. I was a shell of a facade or a shell and a facade of who I believed I needed to be to fit in and and live in a society that rejected me for who I was from a very young age. I'm I'm fighting back some emotions right now uh, because I I feel like you're saying the words that I've been trying to say for a long time here. Do you feel like you were wrestling with yourself because there was almost like this sense of shame. You didn't like yourself and you were afraid that other people would see right through you and see the same things you saw in yourself? Yes. So it turns out that people who are highly creative and I do see things from the boundlessness of white space, you know, ideas and verses just come into my head, but that's what I call a blurse, right? It's a blessing (laughs) and a curse. And the curse is I'm really weird. Like nature talks to me. I mutter because I'm, I'm reciting verses in my head. I'm really sensitive. I get very emotional easily. 
And I likewise, I get very angry easily. I'm, and I'm very dogmatic. Like when I believe something because it comes from this deep place in my soul and someone disagrees with me, I'm like, I, I can't understand it. I'm like, how could you disagree with me on something so superficial when I know this is right in my soul? So I'm very, you know, strong yet very weak. I have a lot of hypersensitivities and they never made it so I could fit in with the world. The other thing is I have this intellectual hypersensitivity. I'm always asking why. I'm always asking people to restate what they said because I need like a lot of time to let it process because thinking and thoughts and connecting dots are like my life. And I want to make these profound connections and draw conclusions. And I can't do it quickly. Mm. It's like, and I revel in that deliberate process of being able to let knowledge just like distill through my being. So it's, it makes me really weird. And even in school, you know, I would always be asking the teacher, like, could you repeat that? Because I wanted to hear it said again, so I could process it. And people would like, oh, there she, I'd hear it. You know, they'd be like, there she goes again, the weirdo, like teacher's pet. Like, so of course I didn't, I wanted to fit in. So of course, what did I do? I stopped talking mm -hmm. and I just wanted to hear it again so desperately, but I was like, I'm not going to hear it again. You know, so what do you do when you want so desperately to fit in and everyone's looking at you like, are you from another planet? Like who the heck is she, who does she think she is? Like you, and they would come up to me and say, you are weird. And like, you know, I mean, I, it hurts me today when, when, when someone tells you you're weird, I'm sorry. Like maybe now I can revel in that. Like I'm unique, I'm authentic. Then weird is not something you want to be when mm. all you want to be is tall and blonde and beautiful and tanned and have, you know, the opposite sex like flock around you and accept you in your superficiality. Mm. Mm. I'm going to ask another question that wasn't even planned, but I'm going to ask it anyway, if that's all right. So, Love it. you know, I, I, I know that with your company, Melissa and Doug, you, you, you jokingly said people ask all the time, are Melissa and Doug real people? Or is that just a name? Is that just a brand? Do you want people to know that you're a real person? You know, it's a double-edged sword. And I'm sure there are many who don't want people to know I'm a real person because, you know, and that's the other thing coming out does, you know, it's toys. It's like light and bright. And do you want to know that behind those toys is someone who's really, really <laughs> afflicted? I don't know, but guess what? There comes a time when the cry of our own soul to be authentically seen becomes so great that it doesn't even matter anymore. Okay. And to be honest with you, that is where I got it was like, I can either die living a lie and hiding who I truly am from everyone. And I mean, everyone, mostly myself, like people are like, why the heck didn't you get help? Like, this makes no sense. It's because I was in utter and complete denial. Mm -hmm. And I was so disassociated from every single thing I was and felt that I didn't, couldn't have even told you I felt this way. Like I, I write about it now in hindsight. But at the time, I couldn't have put words to it. I didn't, I wasn't like self-aware in any sense. You know, I look at my kids who are so self-aware and I'm like, oh my gosh, none, zero, zero complete, utter self-unawareness until I was about 48 and a big dot started connecting. So, wow. um, but now I can't go back. Like I am 
I am bound. It's more important than anything to me to connect with others who are hiding themselves in the shadows. I want them to come out so much earlier and, and truly begin to appreciate exactly who they are and not try to be someone else. I love so much about what you just said. And there's so many pieces. I'm going to follow up on a bunch of those. The idea of coming out means so many different things to so many different people right now. I'm curious about your, your kids' reactions, but I, I want to build off of the, the theme that you just identified about why now? Why <laughs> at this stage in your life has this become the passion? Why has this become your voice and your, your calling card, if you will? And if it's okay, I, I want to read straight from lifelines, if that's okay. So I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm curious your reaction. Um, again, I've got sticky notes all over this, but uh, at, the, at the beginning, so the, the book is designed in this way. When I first opened up, I thought this is different. You know, it's not a, a 500 page memoir. It's 600 plus pages of excerpts of your life, your thoughts, your ideas, and in tons of verses and poetry and thoughts and lyrics. I mean, it's just so powerful, so powerful the way it's designed and written. I want to read something that's written from your own voice, your own narrative, if you will. Page 19, it reads, why would I ever risk exposure at this late stage by transcribing my deepest, darkest fears and struggles on paper for all to see? For despite a lifetime of internal angst, I had reached the epitome of success by conventional standards, co-founding a $450 million toy company, forging a wonderful marriage to my best friend and business partner, Doug, raising six wonderful children and living a charmed life with greater material rewards than ever imagined. Yet despite my shiny exterior, I still desperately yearned to be accepted for who I truly was. For no matter how intently I try to suppress that wanting through the bustling activity-filled days of my life, the inner cry of my soul to be seen was becoming deafening. So powerful, that phrase, the desire to be seen. Because again, inner circle, people see you, people want to be you. But for some reason, you still did not feel seen. Did you feel like when people looked at you, they only saw Melissa from Melissa and Doug, that they did not see you? And did you want people to see this part of you? I always longed for people to see me as I truly was. Mm -hmm. But the truth was, I didn't see myself and accept myself for who I truly was. So the real lie, the real journey was in first. So we can't expect others to see us in our truth until we can see ourselves in our truth. Yes. And that was the biggest like wow moment. It was like, wait, I'm expecting from others what I can't even do myself. So the real journey came in similar to you, admitting that, okay, I'm going to finally need to stop racing outside myself because all I was doing my whole life was distracting myself from what I really felt and thought. Mm -hmm. You know, those thoughts and those feelings were so deep and so terrifying my whole life that I did everything you can imagine to race away from them and including a lot of addictive behavior, right. you know, anything to numb myself from truly going inward. Mm -hmm. So I finally got to this point when I was absolutely exhausted. You know, they say pain plus resistance equals suffering. The suffering became so great in resisting who I truly was that one day I was like, you know what? I, I can't, I can't do this any longer. I will succumb to exhaustion and despair if I don't make that journey inward. And I finally, you know, the perfectionism 
disallowed me to admit I needed help. So I never got help. I never admitted it. But finally, I was like, I can't do this alone. I need help. This is going to be an arduous journey, to say the least. And I need professional help. And I enlisted the help of this incredible, I'll even call her a partner, who took this journey with me. And actually, the, my life is so incredible, helped me write the journey mm -hmm. to go on our ecosystem that others can take as well. But she, she allowed me to finally, and I was so desperate to do it. I just needed someone to kind of hold my hand because I was so terrified yeah. and, and make that journey inward. And really for the first time ever, begin to touch the feelings that I had resist, repressed, disassociated from my entire life. Powerful. I'm, I'm curious about where you are right now in this journey. And again, I, I apologize for putting my own personal uh, story out here. Um, but so I started this journey of my own uh, several years ago as well. Um, and about a year ago, I found myself questioning whether or not this should be the story I'm telling. And I say that because I started to realize that that, that became my new identity, if you will. People looked at me as, as Dave, the guy that's going to talk vulnerability and transparency. Dave's going to be the guy that tells this sad story. Dave, now I, I felt like people were still not necessarily seeing me. They were seeing the story that I was telling. They were seeing me no longer as the person that was fighting for change and fighting for um, growth opportunities, that they saw me as this guy that needed their sympathy and their empathy. Have you gotten to that point yet? Are you fearful of that? Or is that what you're hungry for? That, yeah, that that's okay. That's part of my story. I love that. So that is part of the journey. You are in the middle of the journey. So the first part of the journey is to discover who you are. You're still, you're still sounds like in that part yeah. of the journey. That's the first. And to be embraced and to find empathy from others for exactly that journey. However, it's, you're not at the end of the journey. And, and that's why you still feel you, you still have a meaning crisis in, in a sense, mm -hmm. because after you have satiated that need and you finally, you know, I, I say it like, and I write a verse about it, you know, the puzzle pieces all come together and your puzzle becomes whole. Then it's all about self-transcendence. Mm -hmm. Then it's about, okay, I, I feel satiated myself. Now it's about how can I find that thing outside myself? And it's two words, meaning I, I've read enough philosophy and I've done enough work that the answer is incredibly simple in the end. I'm sorry to, to break to the epilogue, but it's all about taking personal responsibility for making our own meaning and then doing two things, becoming committed to fulfilling that meaning and engaging in something greater than ourselves mm -hmm. to bring meaning to us and others. It's that whole. So when you, when you talk about finding meaning in things greater than ourselves or outside of ourselves, I feel like there's a lot of people that that struggle with that. And some people that would even hear you and think, okay, but Melissa, you were, you found meaning in creating toys for kids that were, it was bringing an amazing smile to, to their lives mm -hmm. and truly creating the next generation of innovators and creators and inventors. 
why, again, I go back to why is that not enough? It was something outside of you that I, I can only imagine back in 1988, 1989, you, you could have never imagined that this is where life would have taken you. And that younger version of you, if you were fast forward, would have thought, wow, I made it. I got all the things that I never could have envisioned, never could have imagined. And I almost hear this, this retrospect going on in your head right now of, I, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known how to to deal, to cope, to understand back then. I'm going to read one of your verses real quick. And I'm curious your, your reaction to this. This is one that really resonated with me in a literal sense and a metaphorical sense. But um, for those that are looking when they buy the book, page 361. Okay, 361. Just a small piece of it. I've been racing ever madly to outrun my heavy head, making each and every moment action-packed to stem the dread never stopping for a respite, for I have no other choice, as I'm far too weak to vanquish this demonic inner voice. I, I, I have to know, I, and maybe you can't even pinpoint, like the inspiration for that, this woman who truly has been living life in fast forward and on pause at the same time. Um, how have you slowed it down now to be able to capture all of this because it's not like i mean you've lived this life of just constant bustling and going and innovating and there had to have been a pause button for you to say Whoo, i gotta turn it inside now how did that happen yeah i think i want to answer your question about why creativity wasn't enough and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. you know because that that is a great you're asking incredible questions uh and it's it's just the the duality between the battle that ever raged within me of my head versus my heart. You know, that was my battle. The truth is the creativity was enough and is enough and still is my salvation. My head was telling me it wasn't. And, and that's why my, my, my number one mantra that I still say to myself every day is um, step on out of the head, moving into the heart, free to channel all dread into jubilant art. Mm. And that was my daily practice of get out of here. Here is a prison. For me, my head, although it has some intellectual curiosity, which does lead to a lot of creativity, but the left part of my head is, is, a, is poison. It's a prison. And it wants to take me straight down to a very dark place. My heart, when I'm creating, there's, there's, it's such rapture. It's such intoxication. It's such utter bliss that I don't ever want to come down. Like I am up there to such an extent that I could be there. I could be up there for three days, not eat, not sleep. I mean, it's, it's mania in the best sense. <laughs> it is like, like it's a party everyone should want to go to. Um, you don't need any drugs for that party. It is like, <laughs> it is incredible. So there it's amazing. Um, and it, it would always be amazing if I never went to this part of my head. Yeah. So I think it's really that because I was imprisoned in my head and that need for validation and didn't accept all the qualities that make me a creative, you know, I tried to kill everything in me that made me who I am and, and despised myself to such an extent, you know, that I, I tried to kill myself many, many times through many different means um, because I, I didn't accept myself as I was. So I think it was more about the self-acceptance than what I was doing. I thank goodness was engaging in my salvation. And I now see that. And I now know that 
you know, for a creative person, our meaning, you know, Gertrude Stein, one of my favorite quotes is, the artist's job is not to succumb to despair, but to find an antidote to the emptiness of existence. And for mm. us, it is simply continual and incessant creativity. Can I, can I ask a very practical follow-up to that? And maybe it's practical, maybe it's not. So yeah. for a creative, somebody who is truly finding bliss just from creating and discovering the undiscovered, um, when you merge that creative spirit with a business that has a bottom line mm -hmm. and becomes quantitative and return on investment driven, and you start your, your, your matrix for success can change a little bit. Yep. Is there a conflict there at all? There's an incredible conflict, but I never allowed it to be a conflict. And I said, I will only be able to be here as long as, you know, I'm able to have that creative liberty to create from right here. And because, thank goodness, that creativity did resonate with a, a mass number of people, it, it worked. Uh, and I never, you know, it was so important to me and it was my salvation, even when I, I still didn't know who I was. It was always I knew my salvation and I hung on to it with every ounce of my being and knew that if I ever let it become up here, which is where the bottom line and EBITDA and all those margins stay, that I, I one, would become tormented, it wouldn't serve its purpose and I wouldn't be able to create anymore. You know, the minute I go up here, um, I lose the ability to create because it's not here anymore. So I stayed so pure to the mission and people knew they were like, do not mess with Melissa. <laughs> it was kind of like, not in a, you know, not in a sense, like she, she's an awful person because I, I tried to instill that joy of creating to my whole, my whole team, but they knew that like, it's coming from a place where, you know, there's no bottom line. It's <laughs> mm, good. So where, where are things right now for you um, in terms of not just the business, but I know I, I alluded to this early on, family, your friends, now that they're seeing and hearing you articulate this, I don't want to say this new version of you, but the, the you of you that was hidden and suppressed for so long, are they championing you? Are they, do they know how to, to talk to you? How do they look at you right now? That's a great question. In fact, someone last week in a, in a basketball game, I was like, was looking at me kind of weird. And then, uh, you know, we're both wearing masks. So that's weird too. And then she comes over and she goes, I just want you to know, I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs> and it sounded like someone had, you know, like she was like offering me condolences. <laughs> and I kind of laughed because she obviously didn't know, you know, to say, I'm so sorry. It was like, thank you. What do you say to that? Like, <laughs> thank you. And I, of course, I was like, oh, you're so sweet. Thanks so much. But I was like, how does someone, how does someone answer that? I'm like, are you sorry I said who I was? Are you sorry that I felt this way? Like, I didn't quite know. But I think, you know, again, I think the best part of this is I've done it when I'm so old that like people's reactions, thank goodness, don't matter to me anymore because that's all I cared about for 48 years. Mm -hmm. And it did me nothing. It, it brought me to a very, very dark, low place. So I think I'm realizing now that there are going to be people who 
embrace me further than they ever did, who share with me their vulnerabilities, and that's going to be amazing. And they're going to be people who probably never want to see me again. They're going to they're going to see me in a parking lot, and I'm going to watch them. They're going to veer off like, oh my gosh, that lady is dark. I don't want to go there. And you know, we can't touch in others what we haven't touched in ourselves. Mm. So I'm I'm so I understand it now. Like I'm not I'm not. Uh, I'm far from from healed, but I'm aware enough to understand that when someone gets angry at me for my story or doesn't want to come near me because of my story, that it's just some, something in themselves that they are not at ease with. And until we can really understand ourselves and understand that everybody has their own story, mm-hmm. like it's hard to understand someone else's story. So with your newfound passion purpose, as you look forward to this new project, this, um, this new thing that's happening with your life, how will you measure your success going forward? You know, one of my favorite poems was always from Emily Dickinson. She's like one of my favorites and not surprisingly, she suffered from existential depression Um, but it's, it's, if I can stop one heart from breaking, I shall not live in vain. Mm. You know, if I can ease one life, the aching or soothe one pain or help one fainting Robin unto, unto his nest again, I shall not live in vain. I just like my toys. I never looked at, you're going to create 10,000 toys. You're going to build these huge categories. Every toy is like one of my children. And I treat that one toy like I've treated every single one of my toys and I try to treat every person like all that matters is that one person and I know that if I can help one person to want to live another day then my life will not be in vain and I write a verse about this you know which which and there were times when I was in the 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 other mode of more 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 I had a hard time with that. I would speak to sometimes a group of 500 people. And after I spoke, and I would always try to speak from my heart and, and get emotional. I remember one speech, it was a group of women. And I, I finished speaking and I was like, I don't think they know I'm finished because nobody's doing anything. And then I remember like in the middle of the audience, there was one person that was like. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, like there isn't one person who like, like like felt anything from that. And it was really tough. And I went home that night and I wrote this verse, which is keep on planting latent seeds, give them water, pull the weeds, then repeat it all again. For we can't be certain when they'll take root and swiftly grow touching lives we'll never know. Mm. So it was like, Melissa, you're getting two up here, worried about the result and the result was not good. So that's going to put you in a, you know, a tailspin, but just keep on going out there, planting your seeds, you know, sow them a little bit, give them some water and then move on to the next patch. And hopefully, you know, if you do that enough times that, and I've seen so many occasions where I've spoken or I've taught a class or, and nobody has said beans, it's like crickets. And three years later, I'll meet someone somewhere and they'll say, you know, something you said in that class has stuck with me these three years. In fact, I wrote it down and I taped it on my computer and I'll, I'll say, you were in that class. And I'll say, yep. I'll say, oh my gosh, thank you for telling me that because I left that class and I'll be honest. I'll say I left that class and I was like, what does this, what do I need to do to reach these people? Mm. 
you know, and I found that just like knowledge needs to distill through me and sort of sometimes, you know, I read Viktor Frankl's book when in my twenties and it didn't say a thing to me. I kept it on my bookshelf, you know, didn't write him, not that he was alive, but you know, didn't, didn't think about writing him. I was like, Oh, nice story. Like, wow, guy's been through a lot, you know, read it again at 48 and like, yeah. like my, my life, you know, changed. So I think that's how I live my life now. I try not to live in my head. I try not to think about the result. I try to talk to each and every person like they are the most important person in the world to me, which is, by the way, what we did at Melissa and Doug, we've treated every customer like they were our only customer. We never thought, we loved what we were doing so much that we didn't think about the bottom line in any of those things. And I think that is the reason we became successful. Melissa, as a, as a former classroom teacher and building administrator for and K-12 public schools for 20 years, what, what you're just saying, uh, I think, is resonating with other educators out there as, as well. Um, we, we so often get lost in the, the need for that quick gratification, forgetting that we're changing destinies, we're changing lives, we're planting seeds. And I, I love that reminder. I, um, I love how you focus on the focus and you have this ability from the moment that you and I connected here today, even before we recorded to make people feel like they're the most important person in the world in that moment, you, uh, you focus on each in order to reach every, and I appreciate that. And I just want to let you know that I feel it. Um, if we were in a room together right now, I would be standing up and giving you this uh, thunderous applause and screaming amen over and over and over again, because you're transparency, your vulnerability, it doesn't come from a place that is, self-serving it it comes across as completely transparent vulnerable real and from a place of authenticity to help change lives and for whatever it's worth because you might not ever hear from the thousands of people that listen to this episode let me tell you you are changing at least a life right here in this moment mm -hmm. so so thank you for you Aww. and thank you for for sharing this story in such a, a real real way. So you're, you're amazing. You, you mentioned though, that you've taught these classes and you've had those moments where it's crickets at the end. <laughs> many, and, many, many. <laughs> right. And I know sometimes doing a podcast, it can feel like that as well. You don't know where the listeners are. Some people listening to this are driving in their car. Some are laying in bed, some are doing the dishes or vacuuming the house or mowing the lawn. And they don't have that opportunity or that desire to, to stand up and clap and scream and shout, or you don't get to see their tears or their smiles. They might not reach out to you and write you and tell you about their impact. But I want, I want you to go to your head right now and imagine that you are on a stage in front of the world. You're not just speaking to an audience of 500 women. You're speaking to 7 billion people that are listening to your every word right now. And you've got the microphone in your hand and they've listened to your story. And they know that your story is drawing to a close and you're about to say something to them. You know, this is the last time you might ever interact with them. And you're about to say something and then drop the mic and walk off the stage. What do you want them to hear from your story, your message? What is that, that mic drop moment that, that you want them to, to resonate on? There's no pressure here at all. I mean, it's just your last words to the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, really, gosh. But, but what, what part of your story, what message, what theme do you want people to walk away from thinking, yeah, that's it. That's my takeaway from, from the story. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's really simply that you are good enough exactly as who you are. Mm. You don't need to be anything other than that. So figure out what makes your heart sing and go out there and connect your spark with the bonfire of humanity and realize your purpose. Good, that's good. Just be authentically you. Find be out who you are you. and run with it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Melissa. Um, again, thank you for for doing this. And as we're recording this, it is the middle of February. The book comes out in about a month. People might be listening to this in the summer of 2021 yes. or 2025. Who knows? How do people get in touch with you, your book, your your story? If this is resonating with them, they say, "I want to hold on and I want to I want to learn more." Yes. So this is much more than my book. You know, my book is my bid for self-acceptance. It was finally my cry to say, accept me as exactly who I am. And hopefully through seeing my vulnerability, you will have the courage to go out there and do the same thing. That's what I was really trying to do. I wasn't trying to give answers. I was trying to say these were my answers, how I, I went from despair to liberation. And hopefully you can, can travel that similar path. But now, because we want to touch more people and we want to show everybody that they're not alone, we have created a, a true ecosystem called lifelines.com. And it actually goes live uh, in just a few days. And it's completely free. You know, Doug and I have been so fortunate through making toys and we really want to make it so anyone and everyone can enjoy this community and take advantage of all these tools that we have created, which include this journey that I went on that I call now the journey to inner space. And I, I feel like I'm in this, um, in like Universal Studios and I was asked to create my own like theme park, my own, my own ride. And that's what this is. It's a journey that is like a, a virtual journey that you go on on this website and it has all these tools and equipment that I got to create. And it's really been one of the greatest experiences of my life to create my own journey, recreate it with the help of my own therapist to have others take it as well. So lifelines.com will go live. And then we're gonna just build on that and create this incredible community of seekers that hopefully make everyone feel accepted exactly for who they are. We're gonna try to show others how to turn their own darkness into profound light. And we're going to guide others on this journey inward to self-acceptance. Wow, powerful. I appreciate that. All of the, that is gonna be uh, tagged in the show notes. So if you are one of those overachiever listeners <laughs> and you actually scroll up, scroll up, scroll down and look at the notes, the links will be right there. Otherwise, go check it out. Um, turn that darkness into light, accept who you are, and then use that to change the world. Melissa, you are changing the world. You have changed the world. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking time out of your crazy busy schedule to have this conversation. I know there's a thousand other things you could have been doing, but I appreciate it. You know, if you are measuring success based off of that one life, this has been successful. So thank you well, so much. You asked some of the most incredible questions ever. This was one of the most powerful conversations I have ever had. And I truly mean that. Oh. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for checking out this episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Your support means the world to me. I would love to continue to connect with you. Feel free to reach out to me at Dave Schmidto on all the things. Connect with me online at schmidto.net or shoot me an email, david.schmidto at gmail.com.